Okay, this is the show you've been waiting for, Access Health Radio question and answer show. Dr. Forrest? Welcome to Access Health Radio. I'm Dr. Brian Forrest, and this week we will be discussing questions that we've received so far over the last couple of years and answers to them on Access Health Radio. We would like to acknowledge our companies that support our program. So thanks to Marley Drug in Winston-Salem for supporting our show. They will mail order generic medications directly to your home with free shipping, often at costs that are much lower than even the big box pharmacies. Check them out at Marley Drug. That's M-A-R-L-E-Y-D-R-U-G.com. Uh, and this is really a great solution for a lot of people. It's actually, I get some of my own prescriptions from there, uh, and it saves me about half on uh, the medication I get from there. Okay. Uh, before we dig into your mailbag, if uh, people want more information about uh, what we're talking about today, or they want to find out information about your practice, where can they find it? Well, after the show, if they miss something or if they only heard half the show and they want to go back and listen, uh, they can listen to an on-demand podcast at WPTF.com, and we will also provide links to that on our landing page at AccessHealthRadio.com. If they'd like information about our medical practice in Apex, North Carolina, they can go to ACCHealth.com, that's A-C-C-H-E-A-L-T-H.com, or call 919-363-0190. Again, that's 919-363-0190. And if they have questions, just like the ones that we're going to answer today on the show, the best way for those to get on the show is to send an email directly to accesshealthradio at gmail.com and just make sure these are general, non-emergent questions. You know, if you're having something happen to you right now, like chest pain, you definitely don't want to send an email about what to do about that. But for anything that's a general question, nothing emergent, sending it in to uh, accesshealthradio at gmail.com would be great. And that's exactly how we do these type shows. Well, we have a, a different format today, and uh, we won't be focusing on one topic as we usually do. Instead, we're going over a multitude of uh, the most asked questions that Dr. Forrest has received over the last two years, as you said. And remember that you can submit your future questions for the show at accesshealthradio.com. So let's get into the first batch of uh, questions here. Uh, we have one about, can the flu shot give you the flu? Yeah, if I had a penny for every time I got asked that, uh, I could definitely retire. So, yeah, I think it's one of the most asked questions that my patients in my own office ask. They ask this all the time. Can they get the flu from the flu shot? So the first very straightforward answer is no, they can't. Uh, but this comes from the history of the flu shot because, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, there was a at one time a what we call attenuated vaccine, which is a vaccine that still actually has active virus in it. And so there was potential for some people with that old vaccine that they could actually contract the flu from it. Uh, in the modern era, the injectable vaccine that we use for the flu is a type vaccine that has no active virus in it. So there's no way you can get the flu from it. On the other hand, there is a nasal spray flu vaccine available. And that nasal flu vaccine, which I don't know, may, people may remember, it wasn't recommended last year uh, because it was shown to be ineffective. But the, the nasal spray vaccine does have a live flu uh, strain in it. And so theoretically, people who have gotten that vaccine have to stay away from patients that may have weakened immune systems, you know, people that are pregnant, people that have, you know, uh, are on steroids, that kind of thing, because they can actually potentially transmit 
uh, live virus, although it is an attenuated virus, uh, with that uh, with that live uh, intranasal vaccine. So these days, if you get the flu shot, you can't get the flu from that. Now, on the other hand, many times people will tell me, uh, you know, Dr. Forrest, I know you say that, but the, the night or the day after I got the flu shot, I felt like I had a little fever and I had some low grade like muscle aches. And so I'm sure that it gave me the flu. And what I tell them is, no, that's not giving you the flu. But the way this vaccine works is it stimulates your immune system. And whenever anything stimulates your immune system, it can give you a little bit of a low-grade fever. And when you get a little bit of a low-grade fever, sometimes you can have some very mild sort of muscle aches, especially the first day or two. So it's really not a sign that you got the flu. Uh, you didn't get the flu from the flu shot. But you can have a little bit of a reaction. So, you know, oftentimes we'll tell people to take uh, maybe some Advil if they're adults or, or generic ibuprofen or maybe, you know, two extra-strength Tylenol every four to six hours. Uh, after they get the flu shot, and then they just feel fine. They never notice anything at all. But you absolutely will not catch the flu from the modern flu shot. I am so glad you went into that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, another question uh, that we have here, I've been hearing about people getting vaccinated for hepatitis A. Is that something I should do? Well, you know, I would have told you a year ago, absolutely not. Uh, because hepatitis A, first of all, is a it's an infectious disease. You can catch it. Uh, it's transmitted often from uh, food. Uh, sometimes people go to places like uh, buffets, and if somebody's been at that buffet with hepatitis A, and then they serve from that same buffet, sometimes they can get hepatitis A, and that's the the route of transmission. Um, but it's relatively uncommon, or has been in the past. But recently, we've been having hepatitis A outbreaks in North Carolina. It used to be that, you know, we would only recommend hepatitis A vaccine for people if they went to countries where it was likely that the sanitation might not be good or where there was a chance they were going to run into contaminated food. But now we've actually had several outbreaks uh, in North Carolina just this year. Um, And so if you are in an area, you know, where there have been hepatitis outbreaks, where you've heard about, you know, people getting that on the news, particularly if you've been to a restaurant where uh, it's been reported somebody had, had that, then I would definitely recommend it in that case. Now, there's several types of hepatitis. And hepatitis A is not normally a chronic hepatitis. It's something that's acute, gives people something like a stomach flu, but it can affect your liver. On the other hand, hepatitis B and C are chronic infections, and we do recommend hepatitis B vaccination for anybody that could become exposed to, you know, blood products or needle sticks. So, you know, all healthcare professionals get that. Uh, often, you know, other other folks who aren't exposed to that will also get hepatitis B, and that vaccine is uh, widely used, uh, even in cases where you're not really concerned about transmission. And although we don't have a hepatitis C vaccine, really, that, that we use, uh, hepatitis C now, as you may know, is a treatable disease. So uh, with hepatitis C, it does uh, go worth mentioning that if people have a risk of hepatitis C, particularly baby boomers uh, who may have been exposed, uh, you know, uh, decades ago, uh, getting tested makes sense because sometimes hepatitis C gives you no symptoms. And there are actually medications now that can cure it. And even 10 years ago, we did not have a cure for hepatitis C. We just had treatments like interferon and things like that that would help. But at this point, we actually have medications that can eradicate it. So that's why you may have seen so much advertising about getting tested. and There's a treatment now because we actually can get rid of it in people that have it. 
And the hepatitis viruses, the, the main thing to know about them is it's not the, the symptoms that you get acutely uh, or that happen when you get infected. The problem is long-term liver damage. So, you know, people that have hepatitis C are at risk for liver cancer, you know, and potentially problems like that down the road. So uh, if you are in, a gener- in that generation and if you uh, could have had uh, risk, uh, then really it makes sense to get tested for that since we have a cure now. Ah, that's very encouraging. Uh, we are having our question and answer show this week on Access Health Radio. And the next question about... Uh, this is appropriate, right? Holiday heart. What is that? <laughs> well, you know, a holiday heart, I, I wouldn't say it's an official diagnosis, but it's something that we used to talk about a lot in residency. And the reason for that is that usually the week after Christmas uh, and New Year's, we would get all these admissions to the hospital. And most of these admissions were people who'd come in, their legs would be swollen, they'd have fluid in their lungs, they'd be in heart failure. Uh, and, and really what was happening is that, you know, their diet changed. So over the holidays, we tend to eat things we don't normally eat. So, you know, how often do you sit down and eat, you know, like a honey baked ham or, you know, you have multiple servings of that or you have lots of things that are loaded with sodium. And so typically what we think about with holiday heart is the increased sodium levels that people are exposed to, the increased salt that they eat. Uh, And this really only affects people that are prone to it. So if you're a perfectly healthy person, uh, it's very unlikely that that eating any of this holiday food is going to cause you a problem. On the other hand, if you're somebody who's got high blood pressure, maybe you've had a history of heart failure, uh, you've had a history of, you know, getting fluid in your lungs or in your lower extremity, like in your ankles, uh, then you're somebody where, you know, the different diet that people, you know, go through in the holidays really can make a difference. So, you know, holiday heart is sort of an event because every year the hospitals fill up uh, right after right after Christmas. And so the week after that, you get a real surge of people who are admitted to the hospital because uh, basically of eating too much salt over the last week. Huh. Keeping with that holiday theme, thinking about all the foods that they plan to eat over the Thanksgiving, what should I do about heartburn and, and when should I worry about it? Wow, that's a great question because, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, bothers me the most is when people tell me, hey, doc, you know, I've I've been taking uh, Tums or Rolaids or whatever for my heartburn for years. And, you know, I'll take it almost every day and it, you know, it helps my heartburn and it goes away or, you know, I take it at least three days a week, that kind of thing. Um, So heartburn can be triggered by food. We'll talk about that real quickly. But here's the most important thing I'm going to say about this heartburn that you treat with over-the-counter products on a regular basis like that can actually lead to esophageal cancer. And so one of the most common causes of esophageal cancer is people who have reflux disease actually under-treating that. And what happens is that chronic burning healing cycle in the esophagus can actually trigger some changes in the cells in the esophagus cause something cause something we call Barrett's esophagus, and that can actually lead to esophageal cancer. So, you know, if you read those over-the-counter products, it'll clearly have a disclaimer on there that says, you know, don't use this over a certain amount of time. If so, consult a physician. But that's not what people do. People just go and buy another bottle and, and keep going. So the most important thing I have to say is if you're somebody who's using those type medications like Tums or Rolaids or whatever uh, for heartburn and you're using it over a couple times a month, uh, you really ought to talk with your healthcare provider about getting that healed up uh, so that it doesn't increase your risk for esophageal cancer or even potentially ulcers and stomach bleeds. So um, but here's what I want to describe about the how you get heartburn. So 
at the bottom of your esophagus, which is basically your food tube that leads down to your stomach, at the bottom, there's a little purse string. Uh, we call that a sphincter. And that little sphincter basically pinches off the acid from your stomach so that after you eat food, it doesn't come back up into your esophagus and burn it. But guess what? There's several foods that actually loosen up the purse strings on that sphincter. And common examples would be things like chocolate, uh, mint, any type of mint, uh, alcohol, caffeine, uh, you know, anything like that can actually loosen that up. And when it loosens it up, what happens is that acid can overflow out of the stomach. And the stomach is designed to be able to take the, the stresses of acid much more so than the esophagus. So, you know, the acid that might not burn your stomach can burn your lower esophagus if it gets, gets uh, out there. So um, if you've got that going on, the first thing to do is try to avoid foods that trigger it. Um, and then the second thing is to remember that remember gravity. So, you know, when you are sitting up, a lot of times you don't notice heartburn, but when you lay down at night, that's when that food has the opportunity to come up out of your stomach and into your lower esophagus and burn it with that acid. So one thing many people may not know is that laying on your left side will actually make that better. It actually creates a favorable sort of downhill path uh, for most people when they lay on their left side to help prevent uh, reflux. And other things people can do are things like elevating the head of their bed a few inches with some blocks under your headboard, uh, getting a foam uh, you know, wedge for your mattress that sort of elevates the head of your bed a little bit, just to keep your stomach sort of downhill from, from your uh, head. And those things can all help. But if you are having a chronic problem with heartburn, you really need to see a physician to talk about ways you can actually heal it up. Now, what are the foods that can also contribute to that? Well, over the holidays, you know, we talked about holiday heart, but, you know, people tend to eat higher fat food, uh, more spicy food, more seasoned food, and all of those things really can contribute to the symptoms of heartburn. And, you know, if you eat overeat at Thanksgiving and you get some heartburn that evening and it's the only time you have it that month, that's not really a problem. And if you want to take Tums for that, generally that's okay. The problem is with reflux is when it's happening on a regular basis and it's not just Thanksgiving or Christmas or after a celebratory meal, it's a, a routine basis kind of thing. All right. Well, this week we're, we're trying to answer some of the questions uh, that you've been asking over the last two years. To Dr. Forrest, you're listening to Access Health Radio. More coming up. You're listening to another question and answer show here on Access Health Radio, Dr. Forrest. Uh, we have another batch of questions. Are you ready? Sure. People want to know about acute flaccid myelitis. Uh, should they be worried for their kids about that? Boy, I tell you, lately, this has been something I've seen all over the news. And, you know, until it had been on the news uh, lately, uh, it's something really you hadn't heard much about for 20 or 30 years. And acute flaccid myelitis is a very rare neurologic disease. Uh, it affects very, very few people in the United States. Uh, the real concern has been that this past year, the CDC has tracked more cases than it has in many, many years before. And so although it is still really rare, if it happens to your child or somebody in your family, uh, it is really serious. And the biggest problem is we truly don't know how to prevent it or cure it. So we know some of the things that may contribute. We think that it's likely 
that a viral infection triggers this response and that it causes, uh, you know, irritation of the nervous system. And uh, the symptoms that are very common is that people will, you know, not necessarily be completely paralyzed, but, you know, children, for example, might not be able to move their arms or legs the same way as normal. Uh, Their reflexes might go away. Uh, They might not have the strength they normally do. Uh, Some people will describe they just feel like a wet blanket. They're just sort of floppy to some degree. And the danger with acute flaccid myelitis is that it can not only affect the nerves that go to your arms and legs, it can affect the nerves that go to, you know, your breathing center. And so the danger with acute flaccid myelitis is actually what we call respiratory arrest. And if you stop breathing, that's obviously not a good situation. So although we don't have any good treatments, things have been tried like steroids, Um, and things like that, supportive care, you know, in the hospital where they can basically monitor breathing and make sure that uh, the breathing is okay uh, while this thing runs its course is very important. So if you did know somebody or somebody in your family had those type symptoms, you don't want to just blow it off. You don't want to just say, well, you know, maybe it's nothing. And it's probably not AFM because that's so rare, because even though it is rare, uh, it can be fatal. And, uh, you know, getting the proper support potentially could uh, save a life. So while I don't want people to be concerned about it, since it's not a widespread problem, uh, you know, if they know people that are having weakness, uh, especially children, uh, that doesn't seem to make sense, uh, they really do need to bring that to a healthcare provider's attention. And, you know, we're not really sure what viruses are responsible, but definitely make sure your kids have been uh, immunized against the viruses they can be. You know, things like polio, which we know can contribute to things like this. Uh, It looks like one of the more common viruses uh, that's actually, you know, uh, goes around every year called adenovirus may be partially responsible for this as well. So, you know, observing all those sanitation things, making sure you're uh, washing hands, not touching your face before you wash your hands. Those kind of things are going to be really useful towards making sure you don't get the viral infection, which may rarely lead to this. Okay, we get a question now about someone concerned about their diet. Uh, does fish oil really have health benefits? You know, over the years, I've kept up with fish oil, and uh, sometimes the studies have said it's great. Other times they've said, you know, it doesn't really hurt, but it doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, but just recently, there was a trial completed called Reduce It. And in the Reduce It trial, people that took uh, EPA, which is one of those types of fish oil, actually had a 25% reduction in their risk for uh, cardiovascular events like heart attacks. So that's pretty compelling. So uh, I, I really do think there's something to fish oil and whether you get it naturally from you know good sources like salmon or tuna, that kind of thing, or whether you use a supplement or even prescription fish oil. There's prescriptions available that are ultra purified. Uh, one of the common ones of those is called Vasipa. Uh, and Vasipa is actually the fish oil that was used in this trial. So, uh, you know, it does look like we have pretty good evidence that it can help. And we'll wrap up today's show after this. That's going to conclude our question and answer show for this week. And hopefully you're going to be able to use some of the answers that we had today to benefit your own health or your family's health. Our scripture of the day is from Psalm 139, 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Thanks for listening to the Access Health Radio Show, and we look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health. Join us next week for Access Health Radio.